thanks for joining us on episode 20, I believe, of the Arizona Music Podcast. that <laughs> right I, I always have to pull up the soundcloud right and i have to go check so that i don't mess it up but i always inevitably end up messing it up anyways so just say 20 and then just like overdub the number right every time just cookie cutter yeah. yeah so it's so nice to have my i don't even know what to call you guys best friends ex-band mates funny story along with that um and just genuine friends uh fear and love here so we got rob denudo kevry howard and dj brew with me today thanks for coming in guys no thanks for having us yeah, man. thank you i think it's been a long long time coming since we put this together wouldn't we all say yes yeah definitely <laughs> i remember <laughs> i don't know just the very first podcast so. so rob was actually started out as my co-host I think I was and on you were actually on the two. first two yeah, and I believe you did the one with Mike Mattingly as well. Oh, sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah, dude, we Mad did Mad Mike. Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Mad Mike. It was awesome. Shout um, out Mike Madhouse. <laughs> yeah, I wanted that one to be very much a highlight of what Mike does for the, the music community. And as we all know from practicing there, that he did a lot for us and not only for us, but for everybody. And it's funny because as we went to Mike's, we started to slowly realize that there were many bands throughout the scene that were practicing there that we had no idea were there, right? You'd go there on a Wednesday and see, you know, the hourglass cats, and, you know, be like, what the hell they, they practice here. So, um, Mike's was fun. I was glad you could be there for that, but, um, it's so good to have you guys back. So, I guess a good place to start would be the fact that you guys have been playing so many shows on the tail end of releasing your debut album. Definitely. That was a good start. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of, I felt like after we released the album, we weren't necessarily sure what course of action to take, but playing shows just kind of came naturally. So I think that's just what's been happening. Right. And I think they've been pretty successful. Yeah. So It's been good to see stuff like continually line yeah. up, you know? Good feeling. So, historically, um, Rob, you've been booking a bunch of shows ever since we were in a band back, you know, a while ago. And we, I guess we should eventually touch on the history of Fear and Love and where you guys came from, because I don't think any of the listeners uh, prior know what Fear and Love really is. Um, but has that been something that His, you've liked? History being, being a year. <laughs> history, no, I mean even for Sideyard, I guess I yeah, should the say other bands. the other band, and we'll get we'll tie True. that in. But so you guys have been playing a ton of shows. How's that impacting you as far as booking and stuff? I mean, are you guys being reached out to? Are you having to reach out? Are you meeting a lot more bands that are trying to involve you in house shows and whatnot? You I think know, what people I'm reach I out think, to us. I think a the lot. overall networking has just kind of grown since you know we've just <clears throat> continually been playing music. Um, that I feel like there's more people that want to reach out to us for things. There's more like, oh, well, our friend's band's playing this. Like, would you guys want to play with two kind of thing? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I feel like it's just kind of been growing slowly, but like exponentially. Right. Definitely. You start to see the same people and um, you start to be familiar. And then, I don't know, it just goes from there. So when you guys started Fear and friends. Love, you already had a bit of a, a connection with the music community, I would say. Let's rewind the clocks to Side Yard really, real quick and kind of explain to everybody where Fear and Love came from and how that worked out. So who wants to kind of talk about how Kev got involved with I was going to say, not group? me, because like, <laughs> I started like later on. 
Yeah, well, I guess Side Yard was um, a band formed when um, Nick and myself were in high school, or DJ was also part of the band, but he was a little older than us. But um, we were playing shows for a while, and even then that was just a band that was a combination of bands from when we were in middle school. Right, and, just a hodgepodge. Yeah, so I feel like um point of that is, is that most bands people are in aren't the first band they're in. Mm-hmm. So you can almost, like, the more bands someone's been in, usually that means they're going to be a lot better, but... Right, so we kind of made a hodgepodge of a band between DJ, myself, and you, and then I believe Dylan Rotating was in it to start, correct? Rotating bassist. <laughs> was Dylan in it to start, DJ? Yeah. Okay, so Dylan was, uh, Dylan Westbrook was in it to start, and I believe we rotated to our buddy George, and it's a funny story because George has never played bass probably a day in his life. And for some reason, we thought it would be a genius idea to hand him a bass and say, hey, do you want to play we with us? We were desperate. It's hard <laughs> to find bass players. I think we were desperate. And also another thing is... He's a friend. The friend. I really wanted somebody that felt like family and felt like we could jam with and see every day. And somebody that we already knew in a way. And I think very many... Uh, in very many ways, George was just that. And we were we were willing to sacrifice a little bit of talent at that time. Whether or not it was for the better, it was um, an interesting situation for sure. We saw kind of as an investment. Right. right. We'd work with him and then have someone we really like to chill with. Right. And we wanted to make sure that we knew we were going to teach him, right? We wanted to make sure that he was progressing and... It was just a weird stage inside yard. I feel like as if we were playing the same eight songs every practice, it got very kind of repetitive. And I know that ended up happening <laughs> on Kevrai's stage as well. Um, but it was just a weird time, I think, for everybody in a yeah. way. Well, I think it was that's true. And it's disappointing because I feel like there was a point in time when we were playing a lot of really cool shows. Right. Um, I mean, that we played fit Turnover. In well with uh, the style of music we were making, right. which was really cool because um, now I think there's so much more variety in styles that there's not really um, like a style we fit into. Mm-hmm. So it's cool to think back then, um, we were very much so like part of this scene and mm-hmm. we got to like kind of like evolve with it and watch it evolve as well. Right, and- We just kind of stagnated as far as that band side yard went. Right, and- to your point about playing cool shows, George's first show, I'm pretty sure, was with Turnover at the yeah. Underground. Damn, that's so sweet. Which, <laughs> nice first show. Three years ago. Three, yeah. We had worked up so long to do that. And we always joke about, I always, to this day, we'll joke about it because I see George all the time. And we'll talk about how his first show was one of the biggest shows, probably top two biggest shows I've ever played, you know. And he just walked right into play it. that huge house show. The Big House show, that was my favorite show. And then we also did Real Friends. Yeah. Won the Battle of the Band. That wasn't with George, though. Right. Yeah. I'm just saying in terms of, like, favorite shows. We played a lot of cool shows, point being, but... Um, So, at that time, it was pretty evident that George wasn't going to work out, and that's totally fine. Uh, George is still, to this day, some of our best friends. Uh, George is an amazing guy. He's evolved. He can shotgun beers. <laughs> <laughs> Many of them. He's, all, he's evolved to super bases. Like that's that's the next that's step. You, need you can shotgun a beer and you can play time. the bass well. Like you won. You, you should know? see him this Sunday for WrestleMania. It's going to be quite <laughs> oh. a uh, extravaganza. Oh I want so to see that shit. at the end of George came a time when um, just 
by chance, Rob and I were going to Scottsdale Community College for audio engineering and through the process met Kevry Howard, who's sitting right in front of us today uh, as a part of Fear and Love. And I just remember you as being the guy, like or the kid. You were just like this random person <laughs> or being that was always at SEC, just slapping the bass, absolutely godlike. I just remember whenever we had to do something, um, you know, on Saturdays to record, if there was ever any question about, oh, we need to add bass or we need to add something to this or improv something, it was always like, give it to the Red Hot Chili Peppers, kid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, it's like Flea Jr. or something. <laughs> so that being said, we just met and got to know the Red Hot Chili Peppers kid. And I say that because he's got a uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers tattoo on his, his wrist. Maybe we can post that in the notes. It's kind of a – it's honestly kind of a iconic – piece of kevrai in my opinion well thank you um but once we got to know you it was evident that you kind of fit right in with what we were doing and i believe you guys started the relationship of jamming right didn't you three jam in the garage yeah there was like that one time we were gonna jam well we actually jammed once and then like waited a long time you know we jammed maybe once or twice Mm -hmm. and then didn't jam again for a while and then just just us three and then like did it and then we like tried to jam all together and it just worked. worked. Yeah. I didn't, we were like hanging out Played that one sh- day in the garage yeah. at DJ's house. And then like Nick comes in. I think you like left your mic or something yeah. behind. <laughs> and you're like, oh, well, I'm here. Like, let's just play the side oh, yard songs. Yeah. And it was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like, it was just kind of like some, I think, because like you were like saying, um, I think George was in the band at that time. And you were just like, oh man, we just got this bass player. But like, man, it'd be really cool to have you instead. Kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. You know? I was like, Dude, man, that sounds exciting. Uh, it was pretty heavy. <laughs> I would say that at that oh, wow, point, yeah. at that point, it felt as if we had somebody real on all ends of the spectrum, right? Somebody that actually knew how to play their instrument. There was a guitarist an unbelievable guitarist in, in Rob. Um, I was competent enough. Kevrai and DJ were, I'm trying to think of the right word for you guys' rhythm section, but I guess I don't want to say tight, but you guys are a tight rhythm section and it really all came together for the the first time, I think in side yards. Yeah. Well, real life. quick, like don't downplay yourself, man. I think you had some really cool songwriting abilities and stuff. Appreciate like, so, it, man. Yeah, man. You really got some good stuff going. So yeah, I appreciate your that. Your vocals yeah. actually like, not that they were ever bad, but they improved immensely towards the end. It was like, seriously, like really good and catchy. Very angelic, like, you know, it was cool. Yeah, I appreciate exactly. That. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely hard to see the things like too. that from yeah. you know ob- objectively. You yeah, know, yeah. Well, from, we're all our biggest critics and stuff like that. But yeah, you, know, you need that outside perspective, that reaffirmation that you know you yourself are growing too. Right. So. And speaking of always being our biggest critics, I want to touch on recording vocals with you after oh, I <laughs> after I after I finish this out, and I just wanted to tell you so that I don't forget and sit here and say, oh, I wish I didn't forget what I want to say. I but taking notes. Like written down some points. <laughs> so I felt yard. like side yard. We're we're gonna end the side yard conversation here and talk more about fear and love. But I felt like side yard was really for the first time together. Everything was there. Everything was what I wanted. But you know, inevitably, uh, things aren't always perfect, and things don't always work out. And I think there was kind of a, a great point, and then there was a, a kind of like a burnt like out cool point. Cool shows and for sure. Yeah, yeah there were yeah, definitely the a lot of good memories. Like, yeah. 
Like I, I remember having a lot of fun. Like the time we recorded house yeah. even though that didn't really work out either but it was like it was just a cool thing it was like oh yeah I'm just in we the still never got those this. yeah no i remember i emailed him one time and i was like oh man <laughs> one I time. it's not like pickets coming at you or anything like that we're not many gonna burn times. you or anything and then uh, he's like oh yeah dude just come over and then like i never heard from him again so like, all right i'm probably gonna like just get rid of that name that you mentioned when we brought this up Screw but up, we re- essentially we recorded with a guy that told us he actually offered he actually had his, his guy, his like marketing guy, contact oh, yeah, us to record, yeah, to record <laughs> a demo for free and then brought us out to record like pretty far away. Did a pretty great job and like oh, it was fun. Good. We had a great time. It sounded good. What cracked me up is that and he then, like started with like 30 microphones, especially for your <laughs> drums, dudes. I just remember just sitting there just marveling at all these old ancient looking microphones and then he just kind of like overdubbed it with some like electronic sound and stuff like right that that was just it was like not oh, cool because that just didn't fit our music no it just killed the integrity but the 30 mics that was more of our style <laughs> the 30 <laughs> mics we, we like that <laughs> so uh to just finish for it people that were listening didn't hear the end of that story we basically just never got the masters right we never got really we got a rough mix a one time rough, with like half of the vocals it or was, something it was like that. Finished. we probably it left finished. with the rough or something and it wasn't finished and we yeah, just could never get in contact. And I, I don't know if why. I think we mentioned that we all recorded and potentially because there was no, you know, possibility that we wanted to record a record. He just didn't put as much. It was like a marketing piece, you know, and we weren't, you know, fitting the marketing piece. So, so I don't oddly know. enough, I ran into one of his friends and this was just like really random, like by chance because he was, um, he was at my work and they were talking about his band that he's in. And I was like, oh, snap, wait, do you know, like, uh, yeah. what's his name? And then he's like, oh, yeah, man. I'm like, oh, yeah, dude, my band recorded with them. And then, like, nothing happened. He's like, he <laughs> no does, way. he's done that, though. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, all right. <laughs> That's insane. That's yeah, not cool. cool. It was kind of weird. So it's definitely, it runs in the, yeah. in the game. It's a repetitive well, thing. That's kind of a shitty thing for a person to do. But we're not here to talk shit. We're here to enlighten the Arizona music world. Um, I mean, it is, yeah, but it is just like an unfortunate recording story. Yeah. You know, we're like, finally finally about to have some new music and then just skimped out. Like, and we were pretty excited about it too. You know, I remember the song sounded good. It was so spacey sounding and just so full and luscious. It was spirit. It was spiritual. Wasn't that the last song we recorded? No, because we prepped all that that demo stuff for prepped doing an actual record. And then that just didn't happen prepped it you know i i did so i i I just want to like i said i want to finish up the side yard conversation but i think it's a huge huge part of what we are a lot but anyways we'll just finish this out so kevra i joined side yard and it was really a high point and you know as to any high points there's you know any peak there's always a valley and it just didn't work out i remember my point was just gonna say i got a little busy with the audio engineering stuff and it wasn't really that fair to you guys i felt um, and I, I didn't make it known that it wasn't fair and I never tried to make it fair or really try to um, compromise as much as I probably should as far as practice time and booking shows and playing shows went when I was started to work on the, the audio stuff. So it kind of tempered off and we all went, you know, had different interests yeah. and stuff. And but it kind of worked in its own way, though. It was like, you know, like two bubbles splitting almost like we mm-hmm. both ended up doing what we wanted to do out of everything. So. I think yeah. everybody cool. ended up happier. Yeah. yeah so. Genuinely. And I feel like if we would have kept going, I would have probably not been as good friends with any of you in this room. I mean, it's a little different 
for you because I just met you, you know, a couple of years ago than it would be for you and even for him because I grew up, you know, as a, like pretty much as a baby with Deej, not really, but kind of. Um, but it was just, it was good. I think it was time that we, we did it and went our separate ways because we were able to regroup get some time away, do what we loved and then record an album together yeah. and become yeah. best friends again. And yeah. I think things we wanted. Yeah. That's the best fucking thing in the world. So, I want to bring up what I was I guess don't let me forget about the vocal situation. Oh yeah. But let's start talking about <clears throat> a little bit about Fear and Love. So, we've now prefaced where everything came from. How Kevrai came into the picture, how this was kind of a band that changed uh, and morphed into Fear and Love. So, I want to know, since I wasn't obviously a part of it, but when For- Fear and Love was forming kind of behind uh, the scenes under wraps, where'd the name come from? How'd you guys form? Like, when did you start writing the first Fear and Love song that you decided wasn't a side yard song? And, and how'd that kind of all work? Can I write that down really quick? And, I know, that was very, that, was, that, was that long, wasn't was very conversation-like, huh? That was very pointed. Where do you want to start? <laughs> oh my just God. like how it started i guess well, yeah like, the u.s like yeah. where Each, our first songs yeah you asked where our first songs yeah, came from so. well when we were in side yard me and rob we had so much time i wasn't working then so i could do any time practice and we started writing like a whole nother album and we hadn't even recorded the album that side yard had yet so we had like this array of just completely new songs that we wanted to do something with. And I think even one time you couldn't make a show, we went and played some of that set. I was like up in Flagstaff or yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> we, we went and like played some of the new stuff that we had been working on. And those new songs... Before it even the, existed. And yeah. you know, someone actually even saw us then and then saw us recently Whoa, and uh, recognized the songs, but oh, said sick. that we started sounding a lot better. It's cool. the singer yeah, from. Yeah, they didn't uh, have like vocals or anything. From the singer from Dead Lakes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, like none of the songs had lyrics, so it was just kind of like like twenty minutes of just like instrumentation. Yeah. It was cool. It though. was cool. Though. <laughs> Experimental <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Sounded kind of jam bandy, which I don't know if that's good or bad. Probably bad, but <laughs> well, it was just like really rough, rough, yeah. rough versions of what we do now. Yeah. So. From there, you had some crazy music. And when I say crazy, I mean, I recorded the album and helped you guys put it together. And guys make some pretty crazy music, right? I mean, it's very technical, very quick, very um, not standard. You know what I'm saying? And one thing that I know from being in a band with you guys is that it can be sometimes a little bit difficult to corral all of that in the writing process and make it all work, right? Because especially um, at times when you don't even know that somebody's playing a different note than you and you always thought you were playing the same note until you go and like actually sit down and you're like, oh, whoa, that's not right, you know? So I guess I want to point my question at DJ. What's it like to write drums to the bass god and and, and to rob and unleashed to, to mr rob <laughs> to rob <laughs> Lee. well it, it was it was different because side yard had very conventional like four four rhythms i would take credit for being making us kind of lame in that <laughs> no it wasn't not lame, lame. it not was lame different all, it's just different i was i feel like i didn't want to venture out as much into the weird timings and all that stuff as much as you guys and 
that kind of it's hard to like is what fear and love like, is outside you know? of like common time you know because yeah. you just you have to like it's like wait i have to count to seven now so and like yeah it's you a lot of like think. For, for me it was different because i had to remember a lot of new transitions and time signatures and i wasn't used to doing that so kind of took it, it was different where sometimes we had to sit down with a part for hours and try to work it out where before i kind of just threw something together threw a drum beat together and it worked right just kind of something similar but different <laughs> um all right because on the way i think that was one of the i guess what i'm trying to say is i don't really have questions planned for you guys and that was the one question i was on my way over here i, I thought to myself yeah, you looked really prepped for that you're like i'm gonna ask d like, <laughs> yeah. you're very specific yes. about the question <laughs> I really wanted to know because no, I just remember question, being in the band with you guys, sometimes writing, like hearing a part and trying to analyze it in my brain, think about what I'm going to play to it. And then also like actually successfully play that fast or like m complicated was just something that overwhelmed me. I mean, it's not for everybody. I so like I feel like DJ was the best person I could ask to kind of give some insight as to how hectic it can be. Um, well, yeah, because Rob's writing the crazy stuff. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. Rob writes the crazy stuff. You guys put together some pretty intricate music, but it's actually well done and tight and put together. And that, I think, goes back to what Rob was saying about every, you know being in multiple bands, multiple projects, having played for a while, having felt out different musicians. I feel like Fear and Love is when it all culminated and you guys finally were able to record, put it together. Everything's tight. Everything sounds amazing. The vocals are absolutely perfect. I think everything just really came together in Fear and Love. And to see all of that was a testament to your guys' musicianship and where you guys have come, I think. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, man. Um, all right. So... Let's talk about the recording process, recording the first album. Tell me a little bit about the song selection. Because I know Those were all the songs. Yeah. There that was, was no song selection. selection. Really? Yeah. yeah. We See, wrote an no, album. We're like, we're writing. There's no secret like Fear and Love B-sides right now. <laughs> like, oh man, we recorded this little <laughs> bit, but we didn't mix it or anything like that. So no songs got dropped. Like there wasn't a song you just didn't like uh, when it came to recording time or demoing no. it? No. It's like a story. We just... You know? I think the only th time that we really put thought into that kind of process was like, how do we write like an ending song? You yeah. know what I mean? So it was like, we that was like a big a focus for quite some, like for like a few months or something yeah, like that. It was, was just like, we want a song that's going to be the ending. Like none of these songs feel like an ending. Right. So we wanted to have something that sounds like, you know, this big ta-da, like the fireworks, the sensation right. and all that. Right. Um, and then I think that was when we, because like you mentioned earlier, it was like, you know, taking like the time to analyze a sound. You want to be able to find something that harmonizes with it. You want to play it in a certain way and then execute all those steps where I feel like sometimes with the writing process, you just have to turn that off like a switch mm. and then just kind of either just, just start messing around, not even trying to think in some sort of structure and just be very free about how you play, you know, and I see how yeah. you break down like arpeggios and yeah. chords and things like that and you try all these different yeah. things. So it's very... Um, kind of i don't know it's very freeing in that way you know well we, we didn't like set out to like write an album though we kind of just like i mean towards the end but we kind of just like oh we have songs and we want to record them and right yeah, i think once them. we like decided we want like an ending song like a wall or something i think that's the only effort all. we really like tried to. i think lyrically there was a huge effort put towards what the songs were about that makes them a story because you can arrange an instrumental se like series of songs in any way um 
and tell a different story depending on the lyrics, you know, so. Well, I think it works out kind of organically. It kind of organically goes with the theme, the album, the progression of it. Yeah. Without us even really trying, that kind of just what happened. So Clemency Smiles, mm-hmm. ending song. Last song. Is that, that's got like a fatty buildup in it, right? That was the one. It's got like a very like extended mm-hmm. outro. I remember when we recorded the album, we had names for everything, like the power drop, or uh, the, there was like, not the power drop song, but it was like, <laughs> oh, it was like power hour. <laughs> yeah, power <laughs> yeah. like, I think that was Bell Jar, actually, that, that power That was a hour. different recording, but, yeah. Um, okay, so you guys didn't really have to drop any songs, add any songs, or do anything like that. Um, so when it came time to record, did you guys, well, I guess I know, but just for the listeners... Did you guys demo your own record and how did that work? Because as, well, I was going to say as everybody knows, but literally no one knows because they're listening to a podcast. Someone's going to hear this podcast, damn it. (laughs) Like they're going to (laughs) know. You guys are also audio engineers, so you have the ability Mm -hmm. to record yourselves and do demos and pre-pros. You want to maybe walk through that? Yeah. I mean, we recorded one, like we recorded business, like a really rough version of business that was kind of like... Because at the time, like, even all the way up to while we were recording the album, I felt like we were still writing the album, mm-hmm. you know, like, like Clemency Spiles. There was stuff still like, developing. How do we write that? You know, so I'm like, I remember literally one time when we were recording that last song and um, you were still trying to figure out like the guitar yeah. you know, the structure for all that. And then DJ had to like sit in the live room and try to figure that out. And yeah. be like, oh, okay, cool kind of thing. So, <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it's always about the that. entire thing was a writing process. I do remember just being at the end of a really long drum recording process and then just getting to that ending part and just having thinking, to write a part on the I spot. Totally yeah. thought, <laughs> I had thought you guys had it all written out. And then I remember being so tired no. and not having any more coffee and just being, Oh man, we have to write a part. But, <laughs> but you know what? That part that we wrote or I didn't write, but the part that you wrote on the spot and we put together and we recorded, Oh my God, I'm so happy we did that. And I, and, and now when you look back at it and it's years later, it's not like it affected us more than, you know, a couple hours of being tired. It was so worth it. And it was a beautiful moment. And that's, I think it's those moments in the recording process that are kind of great that make it unique and kind of just about a year That whole process was, you know, really unique. Like I'd never thought I would see myself in these kind of situations recording so we should talk about the recording process because we definitely went from place to place to place Mm -hmm. and it did take a while you know to finish certain things coming back to my house with all my roommates and stuff and you know that was an interesting thing but what we came up with was professional and i was real excited so Let's see here. We started at Zach Rippey's house of Sound Signal Audio, or no, Solar Signal Audio. Sound Signal. Not It used to be Solar, right? Solar yeah. Sound Audio sound Signal. Sound Signal Audio. Zach Saucer. Rippey. He also uh, owns the other studio that's actually part of this building we're in now. Uh, we started out there, and we had your pre-pros or whatever, your you know your scratch tracks, and we started doing so drums. Bad. We had to re-record all of them. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember they were all kind of off oh, time. Yeah, I get they were ones. so bad. <laughs> well, we just sat, we were like in DJ's garage like for one night. And I think then it was just like, like yeah. did all of them I was just like go. really just not feeling it that yeah. night too for some reason. We were all like annoyed for some reason. So they were just the I think worst it's because we didn't know how to start ever. it. Like we didn't know what, because I feel like we restarted even just like, 
uh, doing the templates for yeah. it. Like we restarted that like twice, yeah. I think, because it was just was like so hot. like we wanted yeah. it to be a really you know awesome beginning, you know, for the entire thing, like a good startup. But yeah, I feel like we just were getting disgruntled at how it was going. Yeah. I think to add on to that. Um, we couldn't get the drums to sound right for a half of a day. We we're set. I was admittedly tuning a drum for with a drum tuner forever, and I had never used a drum tuner before, so I probably had no business breaking it out for, uh, you know, your guys' LP to start, you know, doing the drum tuning then. And I remember that we struggled. I think we to spent get, a full day. Yeah, I mean, well, I'm, we had that night before too. <laughs> so we like spent a long over, time kind of really? trying yeah, to there was tune like, drums. I think it was like the day you got or something. Like we came over to your house and then um, you were just oh, tuning the drums while we were just kind of chilling. Yeah. So it wasn't like yeah. really intense, like, oh, we got to cram this yeah. out. But it was like before we, I think I remember that we, we were sitting in my room listening to Death Cab for Cutie. <laughs> well, we put <laughs> on new heads. Boys. We put on yeah. new drum heads. I do remember that. And we tuned them pretty late. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So you're right about that. But anyway, so we ended up spending a lot of the first day just struggling um, to get tones and that's not in, in your guys's behalf. And so I think that's kind of attributed to the, the poorly done scratch tracks. But the best thing is that once we got that rolling and got the scratch tracks all in order, it was pretty smooth for the day and a half, two days that we did do drums. Um, I mean, it was tiring. I'd imagine. Oh yeah. It was, it yeah, was, it was a lot of work. I was exhausted. I think we were sitting there for like eight <laughs> hours at a time. <laughs> like sun up to sundown. Yeah, yeah. I just sat on the couch. Frizz, frizz session. Yeah, frizz you guys sesh. just did, <laughs> did so play some frisbee, did I, some drawings. I didn't have a job at the time, so I was literally just coming over to come <laughs> no over. No shit, you didn't have a job no, at the time? I was not working anywhere. So you were literally just coming and I hanging was, out. Yeah, I was just, just chilling. Chill. <laughs> Played frisbee. Yeah. Ate snacks. Like it I wasn't think I was like time. off. It's like an AC unit. <laughs> Um, the AC is a bitch. Um, okay, what we were talking about, Frisbee. Okay, so yeah, I just remember <laughs> I was sitting there with Deej just working. And, I mean, we were, it was, you know, oh, love, we, we love music. We were working on our Frisbee skills. <laughs> yeah, you guys were working. I remember just working training hard. for so Trick. long. And it's just so different to think, you know, to put it into the perspective of like, just right on the other side of the room you guys were waiting your turn you had to work in the future but you mm-hmm. guys were just literally doing absolutely nothing I and mean, that's 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 the best part about being in a band and not recording man yeah, i feel awesome. like that's kind of one of the reasons why doing you know having somebody else besides you guys self do it is like you know was advantageous you got to chill and, and just be a, a part of, of it time. and be but creative yeah. i do think that there is a certain um unique bond that's made when an artist records their own music themselves because then it's so personal it's like literally direct even if like regardless of their audio skills like there seems to be some sort of like wave of kind of like lo-fi music out which is like almost like it's recorded minimally to sound good you know to represent feeling but you don't have to be some kind of crazy audio engineer to make amazing music or amazing sounding recordings these days. Uh, just last episode, we had Clementine on and we debuted their album. We actually played the album through and commentated it and stopped it and talked about how they recorded stuff and like all this. And Chris and Christian, Chris Trevine and Christian Rich did that on their own at their house. And it sounds amazing. And I think I agree with you a hundred percent. It's something special and personal and accessible even now to do um, 
and that's kind of just because of the age we live in and it's a great thing i think for musicians to have at their disposal especially people like you guys who are also audio engineers yeah i actually just did the two years so i can get this shirt chokes baby yeah man scottsdale art chokes okay so we recorded the drums it took about two days and like i said we did that at sound signal from there it was bass time and at the time funny story bass time was weird i had bass time was super weird it was weird i had it's kind of weird story but i had an eye doctor and i think you guys know this but oh that was your eye doctor all right, let me just. I'll just. <laughs> talk to this is getting weird. I'm already lost. <laughs> so I've gone to an eye doctor ever since I started wearing glasses in like sixth or seventh grade, and it's the same one, Doctor Rios, and he has always been uh, involved in music. His son is actually Corey Rios of the Hourglass Cats. I don't know if you've ever cool. heard of them or whatever, but they're one of actually the, probably the the bigger bands in Arizona uh, right now, or like that has come out of Arizona, and so he has always been involved with music and Corey's music and his son's very involved in the scene and the, in the music scene and everything that's happening. So every time I would go in t- throughout high school to get checked up on for my glasses, he'd always ask, how's music? How, how's everything you're doing? And I would tell him, you know, at, towards the end uh, of, you know, high school, it would, it would be like, Oh yeah, I'm starting to record music now and I'm in a band and all this stuff. And he started to gain interest, not gain interest, but I mean, he always made it, seemed like he was interested in what I had to say about music and recording and all that. And he was always a family friend. We, my sister and my brother went to him and my, my parents. So, uh, long story short, a couple of years ago, well, a year and a half ago to two years ago, he confronted me and said, Hey, I'm selling my, I'm going to retire and sell the, the eye doctor, uh, the eye business or whatever. And I want to open up a eats drinks slash concert slash recording studio slash practice space kind of thing and he had the capital or whatever to do it but you know we had a meeting essentially about what it was going to be and how it was going to work out and it just so happened that the like the real estate market i guess he just didn't want to invest at that time so he ended up getting all this recording equipment so like a big board for any of the anybody that does audio engineering and might know it's like a big control 24 the huge ass digi design board he got like a digi design you know um those big interfaces uh the omni or something or you know what i'm talking about yeah, one of the big pro tools very excessive <laughs> um and he got all this gear for a really really good price but he had no one to use it and from his son playing in the hourglass cats he knew the guy that did sound at like the hyatt hotel or whatever and they became friends and the guy at hyatt hotel was building a studio in his garage so he ended up giving it to him and but he he originally wanted to kind of like have us put it in the studio that he was going to build out you know the venue thing and and split it for musicians (laughs) the way that it got to this guy the hyatt guy i promise everybody listening this story doesn't just go nowhere you have to know justin the hyatt guy um he got the gear he got the c24 the pro tools digi design interface or whatever and he was putting in a new space so i was under the impression that he had put in a new like space already where we'd be recording and everything so we we get to the the house so 
you know, fast forward, Justin has all the gear, you know, the, the space isn't happening because the real estate wasn't, you know, prime or whatever the fuck it is. We walk in to this pretty big house, right? I mean, it was a pretty nice house. It was really cool. And I didn't know the guy. I've never met him. So going from somewhere where we where we were with Zach and we knew Zach and we were comfortable yeah. to somewhere where I've never met this guy in this mansion was the weirdest thing. But I was like, okay, well, the gear is going to be fine. We're going to be in like a room and we'll be good. No, dude, this guy has hit. So first of all, we walk in and he has a whole family and like roommate. Like it was weird. I don't even know. How yeah, there was explain. like some random older guy that was there. And like, kid, like his kid, it was like Hey Arnold almost. There's all these people here. <laughs> it was so weird. It was the weirdest thing. And they were like, it was like a weird family and of middle aged people. It and gets weirder. It gets weirder. So we we walk in and I got there a little bit before you. And I was like, oh, what's up, Justin? Nice to meet you. And they were they're really cool people. And they we walk by and I was like, where, where's the room or whatever? And I and literally the C twenty four like the mixing desk and the whole recording setup was just like in the middle of the living room, pretty much, <laughs> like in the middle of the kitchen too. Yeah. No, no, uh, none less. That no was less. really strange. And oh my god, we have pictures. We were literally like basically in the kitchen with like this whole family while we recorded like bass for the record, and it was so awkward. Yeah, because they sat and they watched the whole time. They it wasn't like they're like, oh, we're gonna get a snack and then do something anywhere else. <laughs> they like sat there and like against the little kitchen aisle. And we didn't know any of them. And I'm pretty sure at one point they went out back for a little bit to swim or something. And it was just so weird. And we wanted to get high and smoke some weed, but we really couldn't we had to like sneak away and stuff and it was just the weirdest recording environment in the whole entire Being world or trapped in family matters i'm just gonna see how many 90s shows i can drop in <laughs> 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 so to get on with it it was a really weird spot we ended up doing a whole day there uh went really well uh, it was like Sounds I mean, six it was a whole like four hours because it just got weird after a while it was like mm, this is like because like we were going to do more i think like another day mm-hmm. and they were like you know we'll, just, we'll call it good after this one day yeah we we packed up rob didn't you show up yep. towards the end of that yep and then we just yeah i think we decided to record the rest of your house yeah i think, and while, that was way I, more I think comfortable. while i was there yeah and i'm glad that it ended up coming out you know kind of consistent because at the time it, when I was mixing it, it did sound a little. You could tell, like the two songs that we did the bass at my house or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when, once it was all mixed, it was good to go. And I remember when we did finish it at my house. Uh, I think we were all there, all four of us, and we got Einstein bagels and oh, that was a good time. W- and blasted that amp, that hu- yeah. huge bass cab that Aaron Spurduti from Paranova let us borrow throughout my whole house, like waking up Brendan, my roommate, on the other side of the house. Um, at like 9 a.m. That was great. It was a great <laughs> morning, yeah. Remember, we used to have Steven come to all the, yeah. he'd come to all like the recordings. Steven, man, Steven, how's he doing? He doesn't, he doesn't hang as much. Really? No, it's he's going to listen recording. to this. I think he's just addicted yeah. to recording. He was <laughs> like, Next oh, time what, we Frisbee record. all the time? Yeah, yeah. he'll come back Frisbee's around for that. So life. really, Steven was just in it for me. He yes. is in it for Frisbee. We I need to get the if you held the frisbee, it would be like perfect. We need to get the frizz back. Oh, the frizz never went away. Well, I need to get the frizz back. Yes, you do. Yes, I do. So, <laughs> base ended up getting finished at my house, I believe, that day. I think we finished it that day. Yeah, only that next day or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so we had bass. And at this point, we had drums and bass. Made a beat bass. And that was the rhythm section. Um, Deej, just curious. 
curious to know um, about your experience playing with Kevrai because I know throughout side yard and everything we never really played with a traditional bassist you know mm-hmm. so when it came down to you guys figuring out kick patterns and and whatnot just maybe it, it's actually funny i was totally thinking about this the other day too it's a lot easier to come up with rhythm parts with kevry in the band because we've never really had a bassist super experienced as kevry is and so it kind of took a lot of writing weight off of me because it's kind of easier to write. Because Rob, before I would write to Rob's rhythm and his guitar, and I would try to match what he was doing. And since it got a lot more technical, that's a lot more difficult to do. Mm-hmm. Especially when he has like 10 pedals on <laughs> <laughs> and you don't know twinkly. what's going on. But Jevry uh, always seemed to be able to kind of match that. So he made it a lot easier to, to write. And, and I feel like the songs have a lot more of like a natural kind of groove to them it kind of has like a funk did you guys work on rhythms specifically like kick hits and stuff i don't think i think maybe we've we've done a little bit some parts the cool thing about writing music with deej is that it's like we're we're like especially rhythmically we just don't have to like sit down and be like well what are you going to do for that and what am i going to do for this and how do we meet in the middle kind of thing it's just kind of like it feels very organic where it's just kind of like we're, we just kind of both end up playing the same kind of idea more or less and then we just kind of have this look of like oh yeah we're you're already doing that i'm, I'm doing it too kind of thing <laughs> we, we kind of just jam it and then yeah. afterwards like oh that was sick like <laughs> that was bad i totally fucked up yeah, you guys' flow nicole that's how you effectively fuck up two people's flow in a conversation you turn on random you lights turn on the lights and we're just really distracted <laughs> i so got the lights. i got aesthetic and then the lava lamp's still not the lava going lamp yet. is taking its time <laughs> it's taking lava the sweet t- ass time you know, we I know. put the preheat on that guy <laughs> <laughs> oh man so yeah you guys uh definitely have a rhythm section that i feel like makes sense and that was amazing when it came recording time so when we just had drums and bass, I thought it sounded pretty good. But then it was finally Rob's turn after so many days. I mean, I think it was actually at the time because we spaced out by weeks. You had weeks. been waiting literally weeks to get your part in. Yeah, <laughs> felt like forever. So at this point, you had waited pretty much forever. And it was really weeks after we recorded because we spaced everything out uh, onto the weekends and everything just because you know we had jobs and scheduling everything. yeah so did you kind of have an idea of what you wanted to do with guitars as you were sitting and watching it be recorded you know were you picturing what you were going to do um so the parts themselves were all written already um but mainly i was kind of uh thinking about how we could layer or um overdub parts and specific pedals and sounds used for different parts and mm-hmm. just the variations and all those kinds of things but um thinking of um other ways to um add textures and depths like different right. instruments mm-hmm. like adding keyboard i mm-hmm. think that's honestly what i was most stoked about right was, and that was definitely a when you a get to huge yeah keep going, keep going. no you go or well the, i think the best part about recording is when you can do something and not have it be like judge technically you can kind of play more creative parts and it's not wrong mm-hmm. it just um fits a different you know style or mm-hmm. sound style or vibe it's like yeah like making ambient noises or background noises mm-hmm. or like just 
layers mm. of stuff. And so many times through the process, we switched guitars, switched pedals. Every song, it seemed like there was a new, uh, you know, effects chain or delay or verb or something on. And I feel like at that point, it was pretty. Oh my god, my phone's going nuts. It's such a nice on. chord, though. I kept thinking there's like a home shake song that starts with that same chord. Oh, um, good. <laughs> it was fun to be able to have that creative time to make those swells and crazy effects noises and rob sounds that uh, inevitably happen, you know, because that's what doesn't really, I feel like you can't plan all that, you know, that's not something that always comes out in writing. And then like you were saying with the keys, the the finishing touch kind of stuff, the, the little vibes that are in the back that maybe aren't overriding the whole song. Not everybody is going to hear them, but well, like you the know. acoustic guitar, you know, Mm-hmm. For some articulation, you know. Yeah, it's oh, the acoustic. You can't even hear it really yeah, in the recording, but you can. I feel like without it, it would sound different. Yeah, it's like I th- another color to it. I think that the guitar recording was sort of a challenge, also in a way, because you guys are a three-piece, right? So, whereas a lot of times, you know, when you're recording, you want to layer stuff, layer guitars, left, right, pan stuff. Um, when you break it down to three pieces there's a lot of room for you know additions and uh, like you were kind of saying Kevrai, like atmosphere or space you know mm-hmm. so i thought it was a challenge to kind of take your parts and add to them and and work with you to Without layer it them and sound like there's another guitar player or like something that well, i guess the big focus is that we could have definitely done that and it sounded amazing mm-hmm. like indefinitely but uh, I think a focus of mine is, uh, personally at least, is to make recordings that can be replicated live because mm-hmm. if people are hearing us based off our recordings, I don't want them to be disappointed or something. Right. You know, you hear some sort of band with all these layers and you go see them live and it's a lot less. Mm-hmm. It just seems kind of disappointing, mm-hmm. you know, because you have this expectation. So We just didn't want to sound like Green Day. So. <laughs> you know what's the best about Green Day is how they have that, like, what was that? <laughs> Just random stuff crashing. What I thought, <laughs> that, was, I, that was the best part about Green Day. What I thought, yeah, right? The best part about Green Day was how they always live had that guy that would stand in the back of the stage and play rhythm guitar. But it was almost like he wasn't allowed to be a part of the band, but they said, okay, you're playing, so we'll let you be seen, but you have to stand behind everybody. <laughs> you know, like like Pat Smear from Nirvana. Yeah. Is that how Pat Smear was? <laughs> Um, Pasmir at least got to sit in the inner circle of stoolage. You <laughs> right. know, they got to when they all did like the that whole special, the acoustic one. They, they, he all got he got to be there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> he, he didn't have to sit in the audience and play the guitar. You know. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the guitars I feel like were a challenge, but ended up being a really good process. It took us a while, um, just because of scheduling and and also just no studio i mean we didn't do it we did them in my room we didn't really technically have a studio we could be at until 3 a.m i had roommates and stuff and i guess that was kind of what was agreed upon before and now i have a place that we could you know do stuff in the future you guys are welcome to use on your own um but so it was just (laughs) choice (laughs) it was just 
really fun to see it from start to finish because it started with the drums and I remember, I'm not going to lie I remember being a little bit stressed out when the drums were happening and we were first day not getting the sounds I you know planned on getting it wasn't cut seemed tense yeah. <laughs> I was taking photos throughout the like those few days doing the drums and I just saw this like progression of like we were all really stoked to like man what the fuck like <laughs> <laughs> that's how drums always go I yeah. feel like in my experience that's how drums have always done oh we're stoked to do this also Eight oh, hours into it, oh, here we are. Still. Oh man, I feel like that's sucks. just the repetition of this any instrument. This is just dragging a little bit. This is dragging. Are these parts gonna play? You know, blend together. I mean, how is this gonna work? Like, this is the foundation. If this isn't good, like, I don't know how the other pieces are gonna fall in place. Right, and man, did every piece fall for this this record? And I was pretty proud of it. Um, not only on my end, but mainly, mostly on your guys's end. Because being in a band with you and then going through the transition of not being in a band with you and then seeing you guys do your own thing and then having you guys be so gracious to let me be a part of that thing was just so humbling and incredible to watch. And that was the most amazing thing to me. Uh, and that's what I was most proud of is like what you guys created. So It was very like symbolic of our friendship, just kind of like having this like we're going to do other things now but then it just kind of came back mm -hmm. and i was like this cool high five almost it's like, <laughs> like nope yeah. we're, we're good and then we had like new uh, memories to build from that you know it was, it was right. cool a lot of frisbee there was so much frisbee that's why i like playing frisbee so much. yeah it just reminds just me remind, of good exactly yeah. it reminds me of good times it reminds me of just like seriously being so out of breath and asking people, yo, hit me all the way down the field. I'm going to sprint as fast as I can until I want to throw up. Yeah, oddly enough, we <laughs> don't do that throw anymore. Up. You know, I just. Yeah, yeah I'd we'll, rather play casual go frizz. Along, yeah. I'd rather play casual frizz, but I was kind of a douche about remember, that. All right. Remember that time with Taylor, though, when she was like, we were like all passing. We were just like mm -hmm. in a circle, very passively tossing this frisbee. Mm -hmm. And then she just comes charging at me because <laughs> she just finished playing Ultimate like the day before or something like that. Yeah. So, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We were all I so, do remember like, that. Scared, like, yeah. <laughs> what's about to happen? It's like Taylor, what are you, what are you doing? Yeah, that was um, awesome. Way too intense. Well, you can, oh my god! To kind of touch base on everything, you know, recording process involved, and then also, um, you know, bridging that gap to having CDs and tapes and playing shows and the release, the release show. Uh, I just kind of want to talk about all that to just kind of put this all together. Um, and, and kind of see how the album just finished out. So I'm sitting here actually looking at your CD and your tapes, and it's actually super incredible. This tape is my favorite color. I'm not sure if you made multiple colors, but the blue is really cool. And I just want to know more about, you know, how you guys did the tapes, who got this all going for you, how you did the artwork, you know, what all happened. Felt like that was like doing a whole bunch of cartwheels and a backflip after that because we were like trying to scramble to get all this stuff put together yeah, you know, before we, that release show. We had the release show planned and it was coming up and we didn't have enough. We didn't really actually have any merch, which was kind <laughs> of like one of the big reasons for the release show is going to be like, oh, it's a good way to sell merch. You know, it gets us um, kind of just more exposure because people mm -hmm. are hopefully wearing the shirts or listening to the music. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely a scramble. So um, we didn't have artwork or anything or any sort of layout. Um, the cover is actually something I drew and then you actually layered the background over it. And that was kind of just in a pinch and it seems like not much because it just is, you know, written out fear and love and kind of like this sort of bubbly sort of psychedelic font or whatever. Um, but I actually have so many different pages and sketches of that. 
you know, I, I love remember, drawing, but writing words and having it fit a certain style is so, I don't know. And <laughs> making it this clean yeah. and smooth and having all the lines actually connect without, you know, being a little off and then having a little scribble little or a fat or part. Yeah, yeah, fat part, a little blob. And halfway through asking this question, I was looking at it. I'm like, I s- didn't I help with this? <laughs> and then I realized that. But yeah, yeah man, it just came colors. out so unbelievable. And it was so psychedelic, which I kind of felt like fit your vibe for the, the record. And I felt like psychedelic and funky was kind of an infusion um, or infused into this record. Whereas the side yard stuff was more just like alternative indie rock. And this had that yeah, extra no, layer. The sad boy still transitioned though. you know let's just touch briefly on fear and love because that's quite different from side yard where'd the name come from what is it i think you got this one you want me to take it yeah i think you found the name um so we kind of that kind of derives from the idea of like having two extremes within um, kind of a normal living style as far as um the two main things that drive us the most all of the decisions that we make in our lives, um, all the big changes that we choose to go through or not go through mm-hmm. are based either out of fear or out of love. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of taking those two extremes and making them kind of who we are. We wanted to kind of make an album that progressed into the kind of right. explaining more of that. The album know? is a self-titled album and it's because it's supposed to kind of describe the name. It's kind of like here is like the initial like, I don't want to say theme of the band because I feel like, you know, the next album doesn't necessarily have a theme or is going to be themed or it might be, I don't know, but I feel like it was an album to kind of like describe more of like, um, I guess where the name even kind of came from, you know, I don't know. And just to spread a message that we really believe in, you know, regardless that I think everyone should, regardless of music or whatever the album is about, something that anyone could take something away from. Hopefully, So, so you're talking about the album in the light of it having a message. Uh, is there a story or something throughout the songs that you're referring to? Or what do you mean by that? Um, yeah, so I think the um, the instrumentals weren't necessarily written in a fashion of a, of a story or chronologically or anything. They're kind of placed in order once they were written, you know, minus the last song. <laughs> that one I think was kind of written to be the last one, but um, yeah, it's kind of supposed to be about um, it, it's a story that follows some sort of just character, you know, not not very personal with the character. It's kind of just like a first person perspective, but um, kind of like follows that theme of having choices that you can make either out of fear or out of love, mm-hmm. and how uh, taking one of those different paths can. Um, you know, lead you to where you do or don't want to be, depending on which one you choose, you know. Sometimes mm-hmm. certain choices that you make out of fear could just progress into some sort of string of of just fear, you know, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you have this life that is so not what you pictured or what you wanted, but now you're stuck because that's all you've known for so long. And then the song is kind of more specifically go into detail about the more finer details now, of that do you, journey do you of think, breaking out of that. Do you think that it's possible that somebody else could hear the album and give a completely different review or idea of what it means to them than that? Absolutely. I mean, I would hope so. I mean, all music should be interpreted um, 
for the listener to choose and decide how they kind of want right. to take that in. Right. Um, I don't think any music should just be like, this is what this is about and this is what you're going to think about it too kind of mm-hmm. thing. It should be very um, natural for, you know, you take it in how you choose and, you know, that's how we connect. That's what mm-hmm. makes people love music, mm-hmm. especially certain bands and certain songs. They're like, oh, well, I don't know what it means for you when you wrote it, but for me, it reminds me of this memory or this mm-hmm. time in my life. Right. And that's why I hold it to my heart. Right. So. And you can almost, you know, we all do it with ourselves we associate certain songs and bands to times in our life i mean i was saying earlier foo fighters when i think of the foo fighters or if i hear uh, a song and the foo fighters on the radio or whatever i immediately think of you know uh, like middle school and meeting Deej and Dylan and, and playing the Red Hot Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters and Oasis, you know? And when I think about Death Cab, I think about, you know, driving to Montana with my brother and him showing me Death Cab for Cutie. So I totally agree with you in that, uh, totally agree with you in the sense that it could, you know, be anything to anybody. And that's the the purpose essentially. And that it can really bring you back to certain things or, you know, different memories you may have. And I think a lot of that has to do, obviously, with the lyrics and the vocals. And I know that when we recorded them, it wasn't always the easiest process. And it shouldn't be, I don't think, as a singer. When I recorded with Danny, um, it wasn't you know s- totally smooth. When I recorded myself with Corey, it wasn't smooth. I don't think that you're supposed to go in to something as large as recording vocals for an album and have it go perfectly because you're literally taking all of your emotions and everything you've built up to and all of your heart and your work and everything and you're literally laying it out on the line in a microphone under the most strict you know you make it sound really scary i don't know if i want to do this anymore <laughs> right? <laughs> possible way but i don't know it's just interesting to kind of think about vocals you know yeah. I'm also like a perfectionist at points and it's like when it comes to having to like if I'm gonna have to hear my voice through some sort of like song um I want it to sound a certain way like mm-hmm. oh like this is how I want it to sound or whatever so if I wasn't if I wasn't doing it right it's like oh we gotta do it again kind of thing and I know mm-hmm. it became like um strenuous at points because it was just kind of like oh like Kevin like I can almost do it you know it's like <laughs> all right like give me like two more times and I, I'll get it kind of thing I think the hardest part about doing vocals a lot of times uh, is the harmonies and the backup oohs and ahs and stuff that was the most because fun, that was though. that was the most fun because <laughs> we got to sit and literally make such cool sounding walls of vocals and at that point we had already done I'm pretty sure or maybe we didn't do the keys at that point, but it was like Rob was saying earlier, it was kind of just like adding cherries on top and, and doing, you know, harmonies and stuff. But in the same degree, we didn't, we were writing the harmonies on the spot. So not only do we have to write them and figure out the pitches, but you, then you had to like nail it right there. Mm-hmm. And to be doing that is pretty stressful. So I, I commend you for how well you did. I mean, if you go listen to the record and, you know, you won't hear the oohs and ahs probably immediately, but if you actually use your ear and listen in, you'll hear them, and they're all over every song, and they sound really good. And I commend you for being able to do that. I appreciate that. I remember uh, when we were doing Dark Garden, just there was like that, like really like sounds almost like that like seventies kind of vo- group vocally kind of content. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just kind of like it felt it felt like it took forever because we were like, all right, cool, now we want to do like this little bit, and then we just kind of kept adding and mm-hmm. adding to it. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of sat back after we had it all laid out, even though it was still kind of rough. Like we just kind of sat there and was like, damn, like we, 
we did all that you know yeah. so it felt very there was like some instant satisfaction at points and then there were some points where mm-hmm. it was just kind of like these these pieces aren't fitting as, as nicely it was like what what do we have to mm-hmm. change to kind of to shape this mm-hmm. and i think that instant gratification can help move along the recording process and give you new life you know especially going from song to song so now that i'm remembering it we recorded the majority of the vocals uh at my parents house oh yeah in <laughs> like the living the, like room the main vocals <laughs> and you would never know if you listen to them now i mean literally the whole album was put together in different places in different rooms but uh you i remember there's one part i think on the whole album and you'll never be able to hear it because it's absolutely buried under all kinds of stuff but there was one like dog collar or like toe clipping like toes going across wood floor that you heard and and that was that was funny i just remember spending the whole day with you and we'd get through a song and be like god damn this is tiring and then you'd listen to it and be like oh man that's really good we just did that and that Mm -hmm. would just give you enough to you know get to the next song and i remember that day specifically being really good actually that day was was really productive not stressful at all Mm -hmm. The ooze and ahs was like the part where we were just like, damn, this is harder than we thought. The ooze and ahs was like a couple weeks. Yeah. It was supposed to be like touch up, but it ended Mm -hmm. up being, like you said, it was awesome. Because when you sit back, you're like, oh, that's eight vocal tracks. Whoops. But that sounds amazing. Let's copy paste that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Cool. (laughs) So the show, where'd you play the show? Played at the Rebel Lounge. Um it was like it took us like a week or two trying to figure out how to like book that as far as like which day is going to work for everybody what's yeah. a good time you know what what's actually going to get people to go wasn't really like our most ideal day that we did it on cuz it was like some sort of day like a thursday or yeah. something but so it worked out i feel like them. it was actually just as successful as it as it would have been on any other day probably you know just cuz like fortunately people care enough to come out on a you know whatever random day it might have been there was a lot of people yeah. i mean i was there and it seemed like there was a solid amount of people and towards the end i was dancing my ass off i remember on one of the last songs and i was having such a good time it was uh it was fun and something i love about fear and love is the stage presence and i've always loved the stage presence from all of you guys but when it comes to just three of the most <laughs> intense passionate people on stage i think you guys really nailed that <laughs> I mean, you look at Deej and his hair is just flying everywhere, going crazy, you know, slamming the shit out of the drums. You look at Rob and half the time he's on the floor soloing. (laughs) And then you got Kevrai over here wearing some kind of intricate outfit. Nobody knows each show. And you're over here just absolutely jamming out and killing it and singing nonetheless. (laughs) So just to see it all come together at that show and compare it to the album and see see it come together from the, the demos and everything and being in side yard with you guys and now that i'm actually saying it holy shit so much happened it's actually insane to think about how much happened one say it might be insane in the membrane i got no brain well, insane, insane in, in the, the brain. membrane there we i go. got no what how does it go insane in the membrane it's from dickie insane roberts in right the membrane <laughs> Insane. insane got no brain. brain oh well that's, that's oh, no. a different thing okay but that, maybe thing is, that's nice too you're probably right <laughs> no you're Honestly. right man you're no you're right, right. No. okay get out of here love you love you okay but i wanted to um but anyway that's gonna yeah, open wait, there's up. actually yeah. something i want to say before i forget it but um i wanted to say that i think as far as the stage presence part goes um I'm personally willing to sacrifice playing a part like perfectly right, like as it is on the record to just like vibe out and have fun and 
you know, put on some sort of show because as cool as it is to watch someone play perfectly and like really nail a part and, um, but, but standing very still is super cool. I feel like when you know the music kind of, you know, so you can appreciate it more, but when you're just listening from a first time perspective, you're kind of more, you're looking for more to entertain, I guess, you know, I feel like it helps you be remembered if you're like, I don't know because it's like if, if you see someone going super hard and they kind of like miss a couple parts but it's because they're having a good time it's like it, it doesn't matter you they're know? entertaining you still they're, noise yeah. it's in it's on time kind it's like kind of <laughs> it's not like time the trunk space like, yeah. like a few couple weeks ago where like both nights i like bled all over my base yeah but it, like it was fun it wasn't like we weren't just like standing there very stagnant you know yes was, yeah <laughs> Nicole's face. So we actually, if anybody's heard the camera going off uh, throughout the podcast, we have Nicole Gimple. Gimple. Okay, I wasn't sure. Uh, Nicole Gimple from Cronkite, ASU Cronkite, correct? Here sitting in on the podcast, and she's actually doing um, a report. Yeah, a long-form story about podcasting in Arizona and kind of the community surrounding it. Cool. So I just wanted to let everybody know uh, that she's in here with us and she just gave Kevrai a really weird look when he said he bled all over his face <laughs> two nights in a row. Well, see, my hands are um, okay though now, so it's all good. <laughs> but, but we appreciate you coming yeah, in and she's, she's been sitting in with us. So uh, anyways, yeah, stage presence, I think you guys nailed it and I agree with you, Rob. I think that when we go to a show, we want to be entertained and we plan to be entertained and it sometimes sucks to leave and not have been entertained and just been like, that was kind of boring. Yeah, they played really good, but I mean, it was not that fun to watch. So I think you guys definitely put those things together. Yeah. And I don't think you mess up that much. I mean, when I see you guys play, it's pretty tight for the most part. So Yeah, definitely. Cool. I feel like also what incorporates that is we kind of try and use um, lights. Mm. You know, minimal lights, not anything crazy because we like are – you know, we have to set up quickly, so we can't really have all this crazy shit or whatever, but... You don't want to be those guys. Yeah, we don't want to hold up a show or anything, but uh, we do try and use lights creatively and um, help it set the, the atmosphere, sort of. So I feel like it adds a lot. Um, mm. Just even, like, I don't know, playing with the lights off or something, you know. It sets a completely different mood for everyone. Cool. Well, I think we pretty much walked through who you are, where you came from, how we got here in this room and how we're all uh, connected. So it's been a pleasure having you guys on. And I know it's been a journey from, you know, the beginning to where we are at now with you guys' album. Um, So I really do appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with me other than just to hang out, but to uh, take part in the podcast. And I hope that this can have some benefit for you guys moving forward. Yeah, thank Thanks you so for much. Yeah, thank you. Before I totally sign off, is there a place we can check out Fear and Love? Uh, you know, Instagram, Twitter, website, anything like that? Yeah. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, Fear and Love Band. Perfect. Fear and Love Band is the handle. And where Spotify. can we get your album? On all streaming sites. We sell it on Bandcamp. We got the CDs, we got the cassettes, we got the t shirts, we got the stickers. You guys got everything now. You know, it's personally just like come talk to us or whatever. Yeah. If you want the custom Fear and Love vans, we have those. Boom. We don't have those. That'd be so sick. Maybe soon. (laughs) Next show, we're going to paint some vans. Or Frisbee. Yeah. Fear and Love Frisbee. That's an idea. Frizz and Love. Frizz and Love. All right. Well, on that note, Frizz and Love. (laughs) We'll see you guys later. Thank you for joining us.
Should know. 